it's a matter for great concern when I look out the window and see a former hard right politician weeding in her orchard. Well, I don't know about the hard right, but look, we've had some pretty nice weather and um, it's time to get in the garden. There's some spring growth out there. Well, I suppose we should talk about the Greens then. We should. How are we going to do this? For each political party, we're going to look at a very brief history. Uh, we're going to look at where they sit on the political spectrum. We'll talk a little bit about key people. And uh, then what you can expect from the Green Party in the election campaign. And if they are part of a government after 19th of September, what you can expect from, from to see from them. Yep. And if you don't want to listen to us, you can always go to their website, which is greens.org.nz. It's actually pretty well laid out, eh? It is. It's a really sharp-looking website. Um, lots of nice pictures, which make you feel good. Uh, lots of little children looking up into the sunshine and outside. So I think they've done a good job of that, and reasonably easy to navigate your way around, too. Yeah, there was no one place you could download their, their um, Think Ahead Act Now um, manifesto, but there are 45 policy links you can jump onto if there's something you, you're really... Um, interested in so um, where did these where did the Green Party come from Heather? Oh, so we should introduce ourselves I'm Simon Ewing Jarvie and I'm Heather Roy the Green Party where did they come from well they've had a quite an interesting history actually or um, the Green Party as it exists at the moment has been registered since 1995 and really that was a signal that they were leaving the alliance that they were previously part of before that it would be fair to say that they came from the Values Party, which Jeanette Fitzsimmons was instrumental in leading, and uh, she has been an important figure all the way through that process. Mm. Now, on the political spectrum, if you listened uh, to that podcast, you would see that we, um, you would have heard that we uh, had positioned the Greens in the upper left. So that puts them in the socially liberal, uh, but state control run of the economy kind of space, right? Yeah, their policies, when you look at them, are very much about the state being involved, so they're at the socialist end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. But uh, you, you couldn't argue with the fact that they really are a party that do come up with new ideas, if that's your definition of liberal. Mm. Yeah. And our, our previous um, party um, podcast episode was on the ACT Party, and it's actually surprising to see in Parliament just how often the two parties vote alike. Eh? Yeah, on social liberalism, they certainly are very aligned, and there were times when I would quite happily have given some of the speeches that Kennedy Graham, a former mm. Green Party MP, gave. So, key people, Heather? Well, the Greens have a policy of having co-leaders. One has to be male, one has to be female. So you see quite a lot of James Shaw, who's a minister in the current government, but outside cabinet, and uh, also Marama Davidson. They share the, the co-leadership. Um, other ministers are Eugenie Sage, mm. Julianne Genta, mm. and Jan Logie is a parliamentary under-secretary uh, on justice, speaking on justice issues. Right. So what about the list? The list is interesting. The thing that struck me when the list was announced was that for a party that has always tried to get equal numbers of men and women uh, relatively and proportionately, uh, this list only has two men in the top ten. Okay. So uh, it's become very female dominated. Yeah. Uh, but Marima Davidson is number one, James Shaw number two, and on current polling you could expect them to get about five or six MPs in, so yeah. that would also give you Chloe Swarbrick, Julianne Genta and Jan Logie uh, with Eugenie Sage at the number six spot. Right, so 
Chloe Swarbrick has been talking up her chances of winning um, Auckland Central now that um, uh, Nikki Kay has retired. What do you reckon the chances are? Uh, well, it's really, I think, a three-way race. So yes, Chloe Swarbrick has a good profile, uh, but other contestants are Helen White for the Labour Party, who was also talking up her chances, and Emma Mallow is the newly nominated National Party candidate, uh, who has a pretty impressive history herself. Um, if I was a betting person, I'd say that probably Labour and the Greens are likely to cancel each other out a bit, mm. and I would say, think that would give the National Party candidate Emma Mallow a, um, a bit of an advantage. Yeah. So what, what can we expect from the Greens in the election campaign? Well, they announced, they launched their campaign at the end of July and at the same time launched a 52-page manifesto. Having said their website is really good, it's really hard to locate that manifesto. I can't find it easily. Um, but in oh, I went online and thought I'd found it, but it was actually the Greens from Ireland. Oh, were you fooled? Did it look the same? Yeah, it was. <laughs> it did look the same. And I'd actually put in NZ Greens Election Manifesto 2020 yeah. and started reading it, and then I realised I was... It was, a, You're an it, it was bilingual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so when you go to their website, they do have four key policy initiatives, if you like. So the first is Clean Energy Plan. That talks about 63,000 homes with solar for community and social homes, uh, no coal by 2030, and a $250 million clean energy fund for local renewable energy projects and also some training initiatives around that. So quite a comprehensive thing around clean energy. Um, the second area was homes for all. So they're going to increase the housing supply and the affordability of housing. Lots of talk about renting to own. Mm. Uh, they're not the first party to have come up with that as a policy initiative um, or perhaps some shared equity models. Uh, a not-profit housing market. Now, it wasn't clear to me whether that meant that there were going to be no private landlords. I suspect not, but I think the government maybe will be a non-profit housing market. Or maybe trust, social trust like what's happening Perhaps. in South Auckland, West Auckland. Yeah. I suspect we'll hear a bit more talk about this on the campaign trail. Um, changing the rules on rentals. They've been very strong about empowering the people who rent houses. Um, some people would say to the detriment of those who own them. Uh, and there's a lot of talk about healthy home standards too. Right. That's yep. interesting. Yeah. They've always talked a lot about poverty action. That's one of their um, four lead points, it seems. And so they've got a guaranteed minimum income offering at $325 per week for all, except superannuants. I think that's right. That's for students and workers or okay. people who aren't working. Mm -hmm. And then a universal child benefit, which is sort of harked back to the 60s and 70s, really, isn't it? But this is child under 300 bucks a week. Mm -hmm. And then they're cashing out the working for taking out the Working for Families program and replacing it with a simplified family support credit, $190 per week for one child, well, the first child, 120 for each subsequent child. Yeah, um, uh, and there's some other stuff. There's additional support for single parents. Uh, yeah. And the, then there's... Uh, so this does have the feel of a licence or an encouragement to have kids. It, well, some people, I'm sure, will accuse them of that. It certainly advantages people who have more children over those who don't. And mm. um, I would have said, you know, differs from other... Uh, parties on the free market end of the spectrum where how many children you have becomes your own personal responsibility so quite a disconnect between those two ends yeah yeah and it doesn't appear to be means tested so you could be a millionaire with five kids and still get the you'd money, still right? get these things and that universal component to policy is traditional green policy making too yeah um seems has a feel of middle class welfare about it but mm -hmm. anyway 
Uh, and they've got a proposing this um, one percent wealth tax for net worth over one million dollars. Is a million dollars a lot in this day and age? I don't think it is in this day and age. And there was quite a lot of consternation when they announced this at their policy launch. Um, the Greens really have always been a high tax party, though, and let's target the the mm. wealthy uh, at the higher level. Uh, there's all sorts of permutations, I think, that would be quite tricky in bringing that in. And I don't think that people who living in Auckland, for example, who have a house worth over $1 million, a lot of those people would not consider themselves or not be considered wealthy people. Yeah. No, yeah. Look, I know there were there was a whole lot of what-ifs what and, and maybes and buts about the policy to, to deal with that. But at the end of the day, that, that means a whole lot of public servants being paid to try and tune through the rules and, and administer them. Um, so mm. that uh, that's going to need a bit of clarification to, to make yeah. it fly, I think. And to be fair to them, they have said when they launched their 52-page manifesto that uh, more detail as the campaign rolled out would be provided. So I think mm. we're yet to see some of the detail around these things, which will be a bit enlightening. Yeah. There are all sorts of other areas that they've talked about. They want, for example, a minister for animal welfare. Uh, they, want, they think they've been very successful in planning the plastic bags, and so they now want to ban plastic bottles. Um, the wealth tax we've talked about, but also a tax on vehicle emissions. So the, there's all sorts of things that we'll we'll see yet from the Greens, I think, which will be considered in their natural territory. But one of the things that strikes me is that the Greens have often been considered a group of niche politicians who sit under the Green umbrella. Mm. And I think when you look at the website, there is a wealth of information about all sorts of policies. It's sort of information overload to a certain extent, uh, but there's something there for everybody who's got a particular mm. interest in an area. Yeah. So they're still very much an alliance of different networks under the green brand, aren't they? I think so, much more so than you see in other parties. I have to say they still feel more aligned than the Greens of 10 to 15 years ago where you had uh, people came out of New Labour like um, uh, Keith Locke and Sue Bradford and those people. Yes, I think they've matured to something more that sits, sits more comfortably under a green brand, but there are still a lot of special interest areas there mm. that that satisfy one one part of the party, but not necessarily the other. And you just look at the leadership. James Shaw, uh, as a minister with responsibility for climate change, mm. and Marima Davidson, a, a, a politician who considers her area of expertise that of poverty action. What else can we tell people about the... Well, I think, you know, who would they work with mm. after the election if the numbers are right? There's been a lot of talk about Labour and the Greens being able to govern alone. They, they reluctantly said that they wouldn't rule out working with New Zealand first, but um, yes. clearly well, they, they would rather not. That's right, they would rather not. James Shaw, I thought, when they were asked that question, answered very diplomatically while Marima Davidson standing beside him was shaking her head no. <laughs> <laughs> So I think that's absolutely right, and they would much they would much prefer to work with Labour alone. Um, New Zealand First, if you like, has been quite a moderating influence on this particular government because a lot of the Green Party policies that might have happened with just Labour and the Greens have been vetoed. So that's about it from us, I think, on the Greens. Lots of information on their website. I'd have to give them uh, plenty of credit for having a good website with all the information that you might want to access. I think they've done a really good job. Mm. and. You'd have to say that if you're looking at policy for this election, the two parties that have done a great job of promoting their policies now so that people know what they stand for are ACT and the Greens. Yeah, again, I'd have to say the Greens look like a party that's prepared themselves well for an election campaign, and yes. they look like a party that's 
ready to themselves to go back in, into government. And be part of government yeah, again. Exactly. Yep. So you've got to give them kudos for that. Mm. Uh, and even like we just had the lockdown to level three in Auckland, level two the rest of the country just a few hours ago. And I subscribed to all the parties' um, information, e- email feeds. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And just so it's easy to keep tabs on what's going on. And um, James Shaw is out with announcements this afternoon uh, about uh, policy. So they've everyone's stopped campaigning on the road. But he's the um, him and the ACT Party were the first two emails I got after the 12, 12 p.m. deadline. That's interesting. They both do seem to have their back offices together, don't they? They've got their online. Mm. They've got their online campaigning sorted out. So uh, good on them. Yep. Well, that's it from us today. If you want to send us in any questions, you can do that via the contacts page on our website, talkpoint.co.nz. That's T-O-R-Q-U-E-P-O-I-N-T. We're on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, that's it for me. I'm Simon Ewing Jarvie. And I'm Heather Roy. Thanks for joining us on this Voter Talk podcast, and we'll talk to you soon.